Uh, like we said, this is, this is the story of Pentecost is our story today. It's out of Acts 2, chapter, uh, verses 1 through 21. We'll read it in a minute. But um, uh, what it's really about is about the idea or uh, it's about the experience of being in a room when a, when a new spirit arrives, when a spirit arrives that is unanticipated, that it's out of control, when, when this spirit arrives and shows up and disrupts everything. And in some way or another, we've all experienced that, right? You've uh, been at the game and your team is winning and you're a few seconds from uh, winning whatever the big game is and everyone's excited and cheering and then the other team throws that Hail Mary or that full court shot and it goes in and you go um, from excited to sackcloth and ashes. The spirit, uh, you know, of, uh, of depression descends and the room changes in a moment, right? Or you're... Uh, having fun with a friend or your spouse and you're making jokes and everyone's laughing and have a good time and then you say that thing that's just maybe a little bit too close to home or crosses the line into mean and suddenly the laughter turns into something else and you've got a problem on your hand. I almost got an amen out of that from a couple of you spouses nodding your head. This is experience you've had. Happiness, sadness, fear, shock, anger, whatever the spirit may be, it can show up quickly, rest on the room, and change it all in a hurry. And it is the most jarring when it is completely outside of our expectations, when we are in a situation where we know how things are going to go and a new spirit arrives. I was reminded of, uh, of an experience I had in the college I went to. The college I went to was a Christian college, and what that meant was we had uh, required chapel services because the path to genuine spiritual growth is a uh, requirement. And our church, our, church our, our school took our chapel services, which were every week, and you know, we had to scan in, and they took these chapel services very, very seriously. And to be honest, so did I, but for a very different reason, right? Our school took them as important religious services necessary for our betterment and growth as strong young men and women, uh, whereas my friends and I, uh, who were very sincere about God and our faith at the time, uh, you know, we took them as forced attendance to the world's least exciting stage show uh, because they were not... Uh, they were not great services, I, I'm not going to lie to you. Um, they were kind of the services that they allowed um, people to come and speak at that I don't feel like normally got to speak at things. And they didn't put a lot of time and energy into them, and they weren't exactly the most exciting things in the world. So I took them serious too, just not the same kind of serious that my school wanted me to take them in. Uh, I had nothing for those chapel services, but I was forced to attend. And I remember there was one particular chapel service that was really kind of unremarkable in every way. It was very typical. In fact, we were almost done with it. And I know because I was watching my watch and I was doing the thing I did in chapel services most of the time, which was I would take the Bible from the pew of the church we met in and I opened it on my lap and I put my head in my hands so it appeared that I was reading my Bible when in fact I was trying to sleep. And just as the not very exciting speaker wrapped up their too long talk, uh, a song's soundtrack started because there was the closing song, which kind of is how every service ended. Someone did some kind of special song. And as the song track started, it was a song I didn't quite recognize. And I felt like we had about a three-song rotation, so it was a little bit strange. And then a voice I didn't recognize started singing. I perked up, and I looked up on stage, and up on stage was one of the very last guys in my school I ever expected to see singing 
in chapel. Not only had he never expressed any real religious fervor of any kind that I knew of, and I was involved in all the campus ministries and stuff, um, but um, to be honest with you, he was also just kind of one of my least favorite people on campus. And, and we basically, I went to, you could call it William Carey on the beach is what I went to. It was down in South Florida. It was about that size. We all kind of knew of each other if we didn't know each other real well. And I knew this guy. Um, now, he wasn't particularly unkind to me or my friends and my, my crew, um, although honestly, he didn't acknowledge our existence for the most part either. And, and the truth is, um, I, the reason I didn't like him really wasn't all his fault. Um, he was just annoyingly handsome. Um, just the, the kind of good looking that makes you uncomfortable standing next to it, right? He had the jawline of a JCPenney model, and I don't mean, I don't pull that out of thin air. He was a JCPenney model. <laughs> we had seen it in the paper. He was a JCPenney model with a Johnny Bravo chin, and he uh, was in good shape and looked great with his shirt off, which, you know, in South Florida happens a lot, and a lot of the guys at my school found plenty of reason to take their shirt off for no discernible purpose whatsoever. He always had nice clothes and he drove a really nice car and he was very popular among the girls at our school for all of these reasons. Um, and honestly, uh, the, the thing that is kind of on him is um, he was equally as big a fan of himself as the other girls seemed to be on campus as well. He was all the things I wasn't as the tall, scrawny, long-haired, thrift store-wearing, alterna kid that I was and all my friends kind of, we all looked basically the same and had the same outlook on life. And if you were too good-looking or too crisp and clean, we didn't have much time for you. We acted like it was because we were more authentic, but honestly, we were mostly just jealous, right? And I looked up and there he was, starting very quietly and somberly starting this song to a music soundtrack and as he started singing from the stage, um, something else became abundantly and annoyingly clear. He's a really good singer on top of everything else. He had a great voice, like a great voice. Like I'm not sure why he wasn't in our theater productions or something. He had an incredible voice. He was doing great. He was nailing it. And he began this slow build of this song. And as he got into it, I kind of recognized it for a second, but I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And then I realized that he was starting to get into uh, the, the big song to dream the impossible dream from the man from La Mancha. And he was he was doing it. And that's probably not an easy song to sing. I don't know. I can't sing any song. But uh, he is doing great. And he was really getting into it. Uh, he was being very demonstrative as it, as it built. And this song builds, and he was, he was kind of building with it. And um, he was really getting into the song. The girls in the room were swooning, which, of course, is the goal of any good chapel for Jesus. And so it was incumbent upon me, as a smart aleck I am, to turn to my best friends next to me and to make a mean joke at his expense. And so I turned, but I never got the words out because as I turned, my two best friends, the two guys who ended up being the best men at my wedding, the guys who I'm closest to in the world, um, were already just dying laughing. And this very sincere effort on this person's part was striking all of us as funny instead of poignant. And the spirit of laughter fell upon us. I still can't totally explain why, because while everyone else was transfixed, and he was singing well, he was filling the room with this song, 
This dashing singer's performance just gave us those we aren't supposed to be laughing giggles. You know, you know what that thing is when you're in church or you're in class or you're in the place where you're not supposed to laugh and someone makes that one joke and then you just can't stop? That was us. So there we sat in a room of people being inspired by the beauty of this song with our heads down, tears running, can't breathe, shoulders shaking, red-faced laughter. Laughter that we could not stop and we could not keep quiet enough. Every build of the music, every sincere gesticulation by the performer only made it funnier to us. And we snorted and shook and gasped, and everyone around us got increasingly angry. Increasingly angry at our lack of solemnity, and we were ruining this moment for students and faculty alike. But it was too late. It could not be stopped. The spirit was thick in that place. The spirit was out of control. My abs literally hurt the rest of the day like I had done some kind of aggressive exercising because of that five-minute finale in that service. And we stayed in the pew with our heads down laughing. Some people from a distance may have thought we were having a deeply spiritual moment as a group of friends as they all left the chapel and we just stayed there trying to compose ourselves. An uninvited, unanticipated, uncontrollable spirit had descended upon us, and we were helpless against it. You've been there. You know what it's like. And this kind of thing is essentially what we're talking about every year at Pentecost, right? It's this out-of-control, insane story that no one expected. The spirit that descends on a place and catches everyone off guard. It's called the birthday of the church. But it is the ultimate example of the uncontrollable spirit wrecking an otherwise respectable event. Well, I wouldn't go so far as to call this story a model for how every church service is supposed to go, thankfully. We could certainly take some cues about the who and the what and the when of God's spirit from the story. Stories in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 through 21, and it sets the stage for the entire book. And the entire book is about the Spirit creating this new thing. And I want to go ahead and read it to you. We haven't read it yet tonight, so I want to read it now. Verses 1 through 21 of Acts 2, it says this, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came down to rest on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem and God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these men who are speaking Galileans? That is intended to be a cut on Galileans, by the way. Uh, no way they're bilingual, those, you know, rednecks. Aren't those who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. 
we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all my people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I think this story is so fascinating and really kind of so hard for us to believe because it's just so foreign. And I'm setting aside all of the supernatural special effects of this scene, okay? Um, certainly, I've never preached a violent wind into existence, and I wouldn't know what to do if I did. And I doubt Parkway Heights would be, or their insurance company would be real happy if we did the tongues of fire thing in here, should they appear tonight. And we'll reserve the conversation about supernaturally speaking in other languages for another time. But on a deeper level than just the special effects of the situation and those kind of things, on a deeper level than these fantastic sights, this works against the nature of the God so many of us were raised to believe in. The Spirit of God on Pentecost and throughout the book of Acts is at least two things that I was never taught about God. Maybe you were different, but two things I was never taught about God. That God is dynamic and that God is radically inclusive. First, that the Spirit of God is dynamic, meaning unpredictable, meaning moving and doing new things out of control. Right? This could not have been a more shocking scene to everyone involved. While these disciples of Jesus were in new territory for sure, after Jesus has left them and they're left to figure out this church thing by themselves, gathering together and praying or speaking or any of those kind of things were not new experiences. There were anticipated boundaries. They knew how all this worked. This wasn't the first time they'd gotten together to talk about God. But no one was ready for this. In fact, it was so out of left field that the reaction was exactly the same as mine is if a friend does something that's way unanticipated, out of the ordinary, unexpected. Are you drunk? To which Peter's perfect response is, no, it's 9 a.m., you know, not like, no, no wine would pass the lips of these men. They're like, no, it's, it's too early. But this is the kind of reaction the spirit of God should elicit, right? The dynamic, unpredictable, out-of-control spirit of God should elicit this kind of question. I mean, honestly, if our community doesn't do anything or say anything that doesn't warrant an occasional, are you people drunk, then maybe we're not doing it right. We probably have some questions to ask ourselves. What we believe about who God is, what we believe about what God is doing in this world should make us at least a little bit questionable and strange. But that's not the God I grew up with. I don't know about you. We never had to worry about God doing something outside of our expectations. We studied hard. We had the answers. 
And anything that happened outside of the parameters that we had figured out, we knew just wasn't God at all. It was something else altogether. And so we just avoided it or didn't talk about it or, you know, uh, actually usually cast it out, right? Nothing surprising ever happened in our church service unless it was an accident that needed to be corrected. Nothing anticipated, unanticipated ever happened in our theology. Nothing accepted and understood to be true ever had to be reimagined because of God's Spirit. That's just not something we did. Functionally speaking, what we knew about God, what we had figured out about God, our systems were God. They were the the parameters with which the Trinity had to figure out how to work within to work with us. But in Scripture, the Spirit of God is no respecter of our boundaries or our systems or what we have figured out or mapped out. In fact, the Holy Spirit seems to actively seek out those boundaries and ruin them, especially in the book of Acts. And to get to our second thing uh, that you see here that I was never taught, one of the featured ways the Spirit of God seems to demonstrate a lack, uh, a lack of control that we would like to see And one of the featured ways the Spirit uh, demonstrated this is in this second characteristic, which this dynamic Spirit of God that is so out of control for us is out of control partly because it is so radically inclusive. And I know that word gets used a lot right now, and maybe cheaply uh, in regards to just kind of how we should all hold hands and sing kumbaya and be really tolerant of one another and all those kind of things, which is fine. But I mean this in a much more deeply and universal sense. It's a lot more than having TV commercials that look diverse or something like that. This is a nod towards a new way of understanding God and the new world that is being made in God's image. He quotes this passage from Joel, and within it, there are some things that would be pretty offensive in the church I grew up in. I don't ever remember us, honestly, ever talking about them. He says, th- he says things like, the same spirit speak, uh, speaks this language of home to whoever is listening. The same spirit is poured out on all humanity, or all flesh is what it says in the Greek there. That its sons and its daughters would prophesy. Now these are daughters who wouldn't even be allowed to testify in court in those days, and yet they are going to be prophesying alongside the sons. It's young men who are having these visions Right, this is the stuff, this is something that old mystics should have, not young men. And there's old men's old men still having big dreams, and that's kind of the stuff of young men, not old men, right? It's both servants, it's servants being imbued with the same spirit as their owners. It's the kind of stuff that we've built and the spirit seems intent on destroying. It's radically inclusive. And if you just keep reading in Acts, in the next few chapters, you're going to see things like families of faith being formed with all kinds of people sharing the same table that should never share the same table. Men and women, slave and free, Greek and Jew. We'll see visitors, uh, visions from heaven where God tells the faithful that only God gets to say who's in and who's out, who's unclean or who's clean. You see eunuchs baptized on the spot on the side of the road. You see giant church council meetings struggling to even make sense out of how to do faith anymore. Now that the Holy Spirit just keeps doing all the things that the Holy Spirit's not supposed to do. Over and over, on and on. Every time a roadblock is set up, every time the parameters get redefined, the Spirit just walks right through them. 
The Spirit of God is out of control in the book of Acts. And we've been uncomfortable with it ever since. And the Spirit of God isn't just out of control because something crazy might happen in the room on a Sunday. The Spirit is out of control because the Spirit of God has knocked down the walls of the room altogether. Because the need or even desire to distinguish one of us from the other has been exercised altogether. The only remnants of that impulse that remain are from us, not from God. And this is more than a little disquieting for us. And so we have been uncomfortable with the Spirit ever since. I don't know about you, we talked about the Father and the Son and the Spirit in my church. Because it was uncomfortable. Because we had things figured out. We liked the way it worked. We liked who was in the room. We liked how our systems worked out. We liked our budgets and we liked our buildings and we liked our theology. We liked it all. We felt very comfortable there. And so we're uncomfortable with this out-of-control spirit. We're trying desperately to build the walls back in ways that make us feel better, make us feel special, make us feel set apart. Like it'll just be our person, our flesh, that is somehow more receptive to the spirit that's actually poured out on all. That somehow our type of person is more select. That our gender is more specially equipped to bear witness. That our theology is less able to be dismantled. But the spirit remains this eternal troublemaker. If we will just open our eyes to see what the spirit's up to wild and universal and a respecter of exactly zero of our rules. So we got to learn how to get comfortable with the uncomfortable. If we really want in on this kingdom of God, we got to let go. We got to open ourselves up to the idea that we may not have it all figured out. That the boxes we build were never intended to hold an infinite God. If we really want in on this kingdom of God, it's time to get comfortable with the discomfort. Must we be so careful? Must we be so controlled, so safe with the creator of all things? So I think it's, maybe it's time for us to decide. Decide now if we will be the ones laughing until our shoulders shake or deeply offended at the interruption that took place. I know which one I want to be. Let's pray. God, we are grateful that you are not a respecter of our boundaries. We are grateful that as an eternal God, you are bigger than whatever we can come up with, whatever rules we imagine, whatever theology we work out. That you are a wild and uncontrollable spirit. God, may we have the courage and conviction to have faith in you and not in what we have built. Lord, may we find the abundant life that comes in that faith, in that uncertainty, and that discomfort, 
and that knowledge that you might do whatever you want to do whenever you might want to do it. And we get to be a part of it. God, we do love you. We are grateful for your unpredictability. We love you and we ask all things in your name. Amen.